Episode 12 of Poem Life, Naming the Gaudy Neighbor. I posted a picture on Facebook of a note I mentioned in a previous podcast where my name was spelled differently than it is today, and somebody commented on that. This, and the fact I've been trying to put dates on the various poems I wrote based on my handwriting and how I spelled my name, has got me thinking about naming. There are incredibly complex psychological and sociological issues around the concept of naming, how it relates to identity, our search for autonomy as we mature, stuff like that. Our names are important to us. They're a main identifier of who we are. There's a reason people often change their names when they're given the chance. They're looking to express the identity that feels right to them because that's often not the identity they were tagged with at birth. And then for people who are gay or change genders, for enslaved people uh, not allowed to name themselves, for all kinds of people, names can be a hindrance and a source of power. I remember the struggle I went through after I got divorced in trying to reclaim my maiden name. I had no idea I should have put this information in the divorce decree. Ladies, or anyone out there who takes a spouse's name, if you do not put in the divorce settlement that you're returning to your maiden or original name, you will eventually have to go to court to get it done. Just side note there. One of the most powerful parts of Arthur Miller's play, The Crucible, is at the end when John Proctor struggles with signing his name to a confession that is a lie. A lie that now forever will be attached to his name. Danforth can't understand Proctor's reason for not turning over the paper with his signature on it. And Proctor tells him, Because it is my name. Because I cannot have another in my life. Because I lie and sign myself to lies. Because I am not worth the dust on the feet of them that hang. How may I live without my name? I have given you my soul. Leave me my name. When I used to teach this play, if we were reading it out loud, I made sure a really good actor did Proctor's part on this day. If he or she didn't read this part with the right passion and vehemence, I made them keep doing it till they got it right or somebody else took over. Now granted, this is an extreme case of one losing one's name, but the, the idea is there. How we live in this world is carried through it first by the reference to our name. I've written three books with the same main character whose name is Perry Cassidy. These are detective novels written in verse. Perry is a girl growing up in a small town in Georgia when an older man shows up in town one day and basically sweeps her off her feet. She elopes with him and then takes his last name and also changes her first name. This is a poem in that book. It's called Leaving Sarah Brown. At 18, in Stafford County, Georgia, 
Sarah Louise Brown dies when she meets Mitchell Cassidy, 44, making a real estate deal. Sarah is waiting on her mother, a file clerk, who hopes her daughter will also work in the courthouse as a receptionist. Just out of school, Sarah hates her prospects as much as she hates her dull name and the cardboard box of her mother's dreams. She unwraps a mint and smooths her hair, aware she smells of fried everything from Junior's Cafe, and also aware that she is petite and pretty. Sarah, who becomes Perry, listens to Mitchell at the court clerk window and says goodbye. The book that this poem is in, it's called The Book with the Beacon Lights. It does deal with naming, especially since the whole concept of this series is about the mysteries that anonymous people leave when they write in their books. And now Perry Cassidy is the owner of a used bookstore, and she becomes this kind of detective of uh, mysteries found in old books. If you aren't familiar with them, Two of them are published. One is still looking for a publisher. And you can find out more about them at thebookwith.com. I think I just did the first advertisement for this podcast <clears throat> that's been inserted in this podcast. Here on my desk, I have a file of papers. They're mainly achievement test results. It was handed over to my mom when I graduated, and she gave them to me years ago. Because of how I wrote my name on these tests every year, I can see that I changed the spelling of my name sometime between taking the test in April of 1975 and April of 1976, when I would have been 13 or 14. I don't recall the reasons for doing this, but I can venture a huge guess that it was because of one person, Sean Cassidy. I am sure I bought many a tiger beat with his picture or his half-brother David's picture on the cover. I also used their last name for my main character in the book I just mentioned. Sean, as you all may know, spelled his name S-H-A-U-N. I did have a Sean Cassidy poster on my wall along with the Bay City Rollers and other teen heartthrobs of the time. I was a great fan of the Nancy Drew and Hardy Boys books, so of course I watched every episode of that show too when it came out in the 70s. When I was an adult, I actually wrote a letter to Sean Cassidy, but it was in reference to something entirely different. In the 90s, he created and he wrote this series called American Gothic that I loved. It starred Gary Cole being super sexy and evil in his role as this southern cop who was really Satan in a vest. You'll just have to look it up. Anyway, I wrote him a letter saying how much I liked the show, and in return I got a cheap photo of Gary Cole, I, which I did keep for a long time. But back to naming. There was precedent in my family for this penchant for name changing or the spelling of one's name. 
My mother spelled her name several different ways when she was in junior high and high school, and that's saying a lot because there aren't uh, a whole lot of different ways to spell Betty. In college, I got into a fight in a bar one night, and after that, I had the nickname of O'Grady, after the boxer, Sean O'Grady. I also had crushes at various times on both Sean White and Sean Bean. I dated a guy whose last name was Sheehan, and I halfway wanted to marry him simply so I could be called Sean Sheehan. I mean, really, four-leaf clovers and leprechauns would be sprouting out of my ass with that name. Never mind this guy and I were totally incompatible, especially when we were sober. A name I was infatuated with as a preteen was Jorley. I had this book at one time. It was, as the subtitle said, A Story of a Swiss Boy. And it was written by Johanna Spirey, the woman who wrote Heidi, which is another book I remember fondly. In keeping with something I mentioned in an earlier podcast, Heidi was an orphan, which is a major motif in children's fiction, uh, which I was drawn to. There's nothing like having wonderful parents to make you wish you had none. I have no memory at all of what this book Jorley was about. I'm sure I just love the cover and the feel of it. I have a problem with that. You know, please don't think I'm insane. But I used to use this person, Jorley, in poems that I wrote. And also, I would call him from the payphone, dialing 13, and talk to him. I only did this from the payphone downtown in the In-N-Out Center in Locust Grove. I never tried to call Jorley from any other phone. I am sure our conversations were scintillating. Here's one of the Jorley poems. This is written on a piece of spiral notebook paper in blue ink. My handwriting is cursive, it's kind of chunky, and I would date it to 1976 or so. In this poem, Jorley is a girl, but I distinctly remember calling her from the payphone and talking to her like she was a boy. You can psychoanalyze all of this stuff any way you want. This poem is called My Roommate. And fair warning, it's pretty bad. I was only 14, so okay. My roommate. Jorley says being in love is the ultimate trip. Jorley also eats sauerkraut sandwiches and sleeps with her legs on the bed and her body on the floor. I told her my idea of the ultimate trip was an undetermined amount of time on a deserted island with a Journey album and John Travolta, my only forms of entertainment. She rolled her eyes and said, Dream on. Jorley's a little strange. Her mind wanders often. Mine does too, but I've been lucky. It always finds its way back. Jorley has gone around for days with an empty head. This morning, Jorley scrambled her toast and buttered her eggs. It spooks me. I looked at her strangely. Then she noticed her mistake and started laughing. I think Jorley learned to make beds from my brother. She takes the top over the top cover and throws it over everything. 
Once she buried my cat. He chewed up her best set of sheets. Jorley is a skydiving instructor. I suppose that explains why she never seems to have both feet on the ground. Jorley has a boyfriend, a family, and many people who love her. So I watch her closely. I'm still afraid that someday she'll cook a weird breakfast and without laughing, eat it because she made it that way on purpose. So yes, even though it is bad, it still has some poetic things in it, especially for a 14-year-old. I am making stuff up, which is not a hallmark of teen poetry, even though I'm sure the Journey album and John Travolta deserted island references were true to me. The poem is not a confession, not an abstract tirade about people who don't understand me. Once again, I find myself wondering what I did that enabled me to write atypical teen poetry. I've guessed that part of this was the fact that I read a lot, and that I did read a lot, and much of what I read was actually good literature. I also had a lot of time to dream and imagine and make up stuff, and I did not have to worry about being abused, having enough to eat, or any other concerns that make life hell for a lot of kids. No, I was more concerned with the spelling of my name. For some reason, when Sean was spelled with a U instead of a W, it just changed the whole character of it, made it more sexy, more mysterious, more, more of everything. So don't tell the government because that name change was permanent. I eventually got a social security card with the U spelling, even though that's not what's on my birth certificate. I pity the Shawns with W's of the world. Well, not really. Sean White is still pretty hot. Way too young for me, though. The obsession with naming and renaming is, I will conjecture, a poet thing. It's the extension of having the observational eye that one must aptly and lyrically name what is observed. Names are not just for people. Like Henry Reed said in his famous poem, Today we have the naming of parts. Names are necessary for any writing of poetry. The grasp of the concept of naming, of using nouns, which young or inexperienced poets don't understand at all. Poems are about nouns and verbs. Nouns and verbs. In Joseph Campbell, Campbell's epic book, The Hero with a Thousand Faces, he talks about how one must give things the dignity of their names. When you name something, you acknowledge its power and its worth. This is a major piece of advice I give budding poets. Give things the dignity of their name. It is not a truck. It is a black 2006 Nissan Frontier with a dent on the passenger door. It is not a flower. It is a crooked stem 
of the fleabane, held up by the crooked stem of its tiny daisy brothers in the field of rye. Now, granted, I do have some bad abstract poems in my past, now that I am really reading them all for the first time in a very long time. What I am noticing is that I seem to have learned this naming lesson pretty early on. I was a secretive child. I am a secretive adult. This quality makes one good at observation, at understanding the detail, at naming. I was born Stacy Sean Perkins, but I was never called Stacy. I was always Sean. No one knows why, not even my parents. When I went to college, where I had to use my first name on all the official documents and the class rolls and everything, I got into the habit of using Stacy in some places. It was just easier than having to explain. I worked in the OSU bakery when I was a freshman, and everyone there just knew me as Stacy. I entered poems and contests as Stacy. But eventually, I started using the name S. Sean Perkins. I can also date my poems by looking at what I called myself. I was Stacy as a college freshman and sophomore, and then I changed that to S. Sean, which is what I used for years afterward, till I just eventually simplified it to Sean. So now I've extended my discussion of naming out from the actual literal sense of having a name, of having a name I changed the spelling of, of having a name I didn't go by, and then reclaiming the actual name that I did go by. I just find that there is a lot to this concept of naming. Along with all of my old poems, it's a page of yellow typing paper and a letter that I typed on. It is dated November 22, 1978, when I would have been 16. The letter is addressed to my daughter who will know me from the things I write. This letter is completely mundane, describing what's going on in the house at the time. Quote, David is walking around the kitchen now, searching for some kind of money. Now he's checking the icebox for any kind of food. I wish Mom would come home because she's bringing my class ring and I want to wear it. I was just sitting here typing a bunch of sentences that didn't make any sense at all when I thought up this idea. So the letter goes on and I mentioned playing basketball, only being able to type with two fingers, wishing it would snow for Christmas. And then there's this. It's crazy, you know writing a letter to you because I may never have you. I may never be able to have children or I'll just have all board boys or maybe I'll never get married. I've been trying to decide if I should name you Sunny or Sky. I was thinking about Rainbow too, but I just don't know yet. I always wanted my name to be Sunny. Whew. I didn't realize I was such a hippie. 
Good thing I only had one child and he was a boy and I didn't name him Rainbow. Right, Luke? Right? A 28-year-old woman who had Luke would not have named a girl any of those things. And I'm, I really, I'm surprised I ever thought of them. Though I do remember wanting to be named Sunny, S-U-N-N-Y. I had dreams of being Sunny Sanello, a famous rock star who gave away all her money to people who really needed it. I remember designing my dream home for Sunny, and it had all these rooms in it that my friends would live in. I wish I still had that drawing. Maybe. I think poetry allowed me to dream. I could have a different name and name things however I wanted in a poem. We middle-class children of the earth and flyover states know how average and mundane our lives are. As teenagers, most of us try to rise above that, ignore it, deny it, will it away. I was doing all of that with poetry. Here's another teenage poem I wrote that has to do with naming and identity. And this is a poem I reworked into different poems for many years afterward. One version of it made its way into Northeastern State University's literary journal called The Phoenix when I was a college sophomore at OSU. I was still reworking it when I was in graduate school at Kansas State University. It's in the master's thesis I never completed. If I were to put this poem and all of its revisions together now in the year 2020, when I am almost 58 years old, I think this original, written when I was 15 or 16, is the best one, even with its flaws. It's called Friday's Alternative. That's not the thump, thump of the writer's pen, but the daddy mouse as he makes its way across the tile floor and into the yellow-green-silver carpet, stirring the dust that has formed around the legs of the wooden tables and plastic cases, making its way to the closet and waking up an old shadow that makes things go bump in the night, like the icicles from the tree that slide from the balls and become another tattered piece of paper forming the pile in the corner. The gifts keep getting smaller and no one seems to know why. They think I should ask the mice, but I only see them at midday when I come home early because there is no alternative and I sit and watch the baby mouse scotch tape around the living room floor. It's so dark in here. If I stood here all night, no one would see me. The others would let it slip, like my mind. Getting too full of things, I don't have time to think. So I'd just like to stop for a minute. But the mouse wants to play games with the new found present. 
and I can see my name half still on the box and half in the corner lying crumpled, waiting. Pretty deep, huh? I don't know what this poem is about. It makes me think of an apocalypse or a mass murder and the person's whole family has been wiped out just before Christmas. The mice are taking over her house. I don't know, and I think it's okay I don't know, but the last thing surviving is not the girl herself, but her name on a present that the mice are nibbling away at. As adults, if we're lucky, we become comfortable with our names in our place on the planet and acknowledge it is what it is and find the joy in it. Most of us are just average folks and adults who can acknowledge their averageness in the world are normally clear-headed, happy, and present to each day's happenings. The others are serial killers or misfits or just deeply unhappy or in need of psychological help of some sort. I'll end this exploration of naming with a poem I wrote for a 2014 book of poetry called Aware of Birds Missing. The poem's called Etymology in the Morning. A stone cast from the sky by the gods landed in her garden next to a purple turtle because it was the only color of paint available at the time, not the stone which was the color of a missed connection, but the turtle which had been art and crafted in bright yellow kelly green and egg yellow, hideous amidst the spearmint which even Weedy knew a gaudy neighbor when it saw one. Listen, the god said to her, this is who you are, this stone. Your name means the same thing, stone, rock. Don't spend your life trying to avoid it. You might paint your pedestal in a subtler shade, pleasing to the eye, but underneath you will always be the substance of the earth, worn by time and water and sun, dust and mist and foot. You will always be the gaudy neighbor. Why do you act like you don't know this? <laughs>